in the beautiful nativity story, we find a piece of the puzzle, the three wise men searching for Jesus and led by a star to a place that's foreign to them, to a country who has a king that they're in search of, a country that doesn't even know the king yet exists. See, these are three wise men steeped in wisdom, maybe sorcery and mysticism from a place from the east, the Persian empire perhaps, as many have uh, decided on or arrived at this place of understanding. I know, I know, they weren't actually at the nativity scene. See, when the wise men showed up, when they sought out Jesus, he was already born, perhaps two years old by the time they found him. What I wanna focus on today in this sermon is that they were looking for him. I think there are people in the world around us today who are looking for Jesus, people who have searched for answers in all the wrong places. Maybe it's mediums, maybe it's crystals, chakras, all the things. Everybody's searching for an answer. I believe that's the beautiful narrative throughout the story of the Bible is that all of us are searching for something and we're looking it for it in all the wrong places. These wise men, as smart as they were, with all the knowledge and the understanding that they had, there was still a hole, a gap, and that we're looking for this Jesus, this King of the Jews. See, people are searching today, and what led them there was a posture or a desire to seek after it, this star. They were able to see it when no one else could. Why? Because they were hungering for something new, something they couldn't find anywhere else, and this star led them to this place. What if we as Christians were supposed to be this star? The understanding that we're not trying to lead them to our experience, lead them to our pastor, but really lead them to Jesus Christ, that we have the ability through our story, through our narrative, what God's done and undone in our life, to be a signpost, a way place, to direct people to this Jesus, the one who will change their life. See, that's the true destiny, the true vision of hope in us is when our lives demonstrate hope because of what we've found that directs people to this Jesus, the hope for all. Enjoy this sermon with us today. Let's go. I see you. Yeah, you. Flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases? A one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one -on -one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. We've been in this season, or in this sermon series uh, titled The Gift of Hope. And we've been just, I don't know, it's been sharing hope and how it's needed in the world around us. And I think so many things going on over the last couple of weeks in our community alone, but much less the world as we begin to watch the news, if you watch the news. But I think there's just an absence of true hope. And I think it starts with us because we, the church, should have hope within us. 
And one of the things that really opened my eyes around the world is as these things happen is the loudest voice of hopelessness is coming from this place. We react and we respond with everything. Although we may not say, oh, Lord, it's hopeless. Every reaction and response we have demonstrates hopelessness. I don't know how many Christians, like, I just can't wait to go to heaven because this world is lost and undone. And it's hard, but I just want to jump on there and say, you need to go to heaven because you're going to be the one that holds people back from going with you. All right, I'm going to preach real. If nothing, that's, that's who I am. My heart cries out for those who don't know Jesus. And I want to do everything I can. That, you don't know the impact of that, that prayer that Morgan prays. She prays that in our house a lot, and it's with every breath and every beat in my chest. That's got to be the call on the church as we talk about hope, that every breath that we have, every beat that we have is not for us. Because the moment we accept Christ, we don't need the beat anymore for us. We don't need the breath in our chest. We've been promised something better. But then from that moment to that moment, because that's where our hope is, right? We talked about that. Our hope is in heaven. But what is that hope doing to impact our day-to-day now, the every beat, the every breath? I had planned on preached about the season of gifting and talking about the gifts and all this, and I got stuck on hope the first day, and I was like, ooh, I guess hope's a lot bigger than I thought. So we've been going through Romans 15. If you've never read the chapter uh, in Romans 15, I would encourage you to read it. Actually, I would encourage you to read the whole book of Romans, which we're going to talk a little bit more about expanding out a little bit and the purpose of that letter. But I want to start today in James. I've been reading this scripture every week. James 1, and we're going to read verses 17 and 18. It will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. It says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If anybody's looking to know what the Bible says about having lights on your house, there it is, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There's going to be a wife today that says her husband, look, I told you that's why we need lights on the house. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I want you to put that Father of lights in your pocket. We're going to talk about that today. Then it says, of his own will, he brought us, say us, forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now we're going to talk today, and I'm going to read Romans 15, 13 before we get into where we're at. Romans 15, 13, we've been reading this every week, and this is the scripture that really jumped out to me as I begin to think about hope. And it says this, Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that, y'all know that's my two favorite words, So that, that is the declaration of what we're supposed to do with what we have. So that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, we talk about abundance a lot. And depending on what kind of church you go to or where you go, abundance is usually tied into resources and money and all the things. But I think abundance is so much bigger than that. Yes, we need an abundance in finances and all the things. But I think when we have an abundance in hope, all these things will be added unto you. What did it say? Kingdom, seek ye the kingdom first, and that all these things will be added unto you. And I believe, and when we read this scripture, 
May the God of hope, it is a declaration of who God is. And if he is the God of hope, then the kingdom has to be a kingdom of... Okay, this is basic math, people. One and one equals... If he's the God of hope, then the kingdom of God has to be the kingdom of... Okay, we're moving together. Sorry, I like y'all to preach with me. So we begin to think about that. <coughs> we've gone through this Romans chapter 15, and we've talked about the beginning of we who are strong. It's a declaration of what we're supposed to do with our strength. And then last week we talked about the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures. So when we're going through some things. But I think this week we're going to preach on something that connects back to the 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 Christmas narrative again, and I've been doing, trying to do my best to connect to that because I believe it does. We talked about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and their stories and how there was a hopelessness, but God brought hope. But there was a connection with that Jesus moment that really amplified it. So today I'm titling this sermon, You Can Be a Star. If I have any country music fans in here, Back in the old days, in the, the 80s, CMT had the show before American Idol ever existed, and it was called You Can Be a Star, and it was just that, a bunch of country music. My mother loved this show, so I was stuck watching it, even though I was like, this is the worst show ever, but we'd watch it, and it was American Idol for country music stars, and if you don't know, that's where Alan Jackson got his start. Yes. So when I was thinking about this sermon title, that's where my head was stuck. See, we're all a product of our journeys. You understand that? I minister out of my journey. I'm sorry if 80s rock isn't your thing or maybe late 80s, early 90s hip-hop. It's where I come from, and I try to do the best not to let it affect me to a place that it interrupts the Jesus moments, but it's, it's the language we have, right? We all, if you're a sports fan, you've got a language, you've got a lingo that I think God wants to use. But I begin to think about this nativity story, and we're going to talk about the star today, but before we do it, I want to read these scriptures in Romans, because it really brings out, I believe, what, and I think that the, the depth of this narrative from start to finish, so we find in this scripture as Paul's telling this church in Rome some things, he's bringing scriptures from the Old Testament, from the prophets, and it's validated in that moment of Jesus, and then now it's an expression of where we're supposed to go. So before I get to that, I want to talk about the Church of Rome a little bit, because I think the Church of Rome really demonstrates kind of who we are. So first, you got to know that the Church of Rome was not planted by Paul. So when you look at the churches that all the letters got sent to, a lot of those churches were specifically planted by Paul. Church of Corinth and a lot of those. So he had intimate connections. And you can see it in his letters. Like if you were a mom writing a letter to your, your child or your, or your son or your daughter, there's an intimate connection. If they've been messing up, you're going to let them know about it, right? But you're going to do it in love. And that's the way Paul was in his letters. There were some intimate moments like, I taught you better than that. But I love you. You're doing good things. But you need to get right. But if you look at the letter of Rome, letter to Romans, he lets them know in the very beginning that he wants to come to this place. He's never been to this place. So then we look at the Church of Rome, and we have to find out a couple of things. The time frame that they think this was written in 57 AD was right after the exile of all Christians in Rome. So Rome had Christians that we see in the book of Acts right after Stephen was stoned. 
it said that they left Jerusalem, they moved out, they began to, they say that's the largest growth of the Christian movement ever. And it didn't happen with the disciples. The disciples stayed in Jerusalem to bury the body. But they said the church began to grow and expand in the homes and out there. So it expanded into the Roman Empire. And then around 53 AD, there was uh, a Caesar that was like exiled all the Jews out of Rome, like get them out of here. So now in that place, even then, even though the Jews weren't there, the Christian movement began to occur. And the Gentiles or the Romans, the non-Jewish people, began to hear about this Jesus and the Christian church began to expand into the Gentile community. So Jews go, but they're still, because they heard the word before the Jews left, they heard the word about Jesus, and these churches begin to grow. Now the Jews come out, and then in 57 AD when he dies, or just before that, we see when that Caesar dies, the Jews come back in, and now we have this mixture of Jews and Christians who believe in Jesus. Those who know the Old Testament and every bit of their culture, right? The Jews, knew the Old Testament was their everything. It was everything they lived by. They knew it by heart. So they're here, raising these churches. They leave and they come back, and now these Gentiles are just having all sorts of church in whatever way they want. They're uncircumcised, they're doing what they're eating and doing whatever they want. And the Jews come in, and now we have this church that's kind of come together, and it's just not jiving at all. Because they're all bringing strengths, but they're both bringing weaknesses. Now let's look at the church of today. How many of us were born and raised in church? Yeah, we got some denominational stuff we hold on to, right? Whether we like it or not. I come through some stuff. I got some stuff. You know how hard when I first got into this, it was. I was suit and tie every week. Y'all know my dad when he comes to visit. Y'all get to see the downplayed version. He doesn't wear the tie when he comes here. But he got everything else, right? That's just who my dad is. But we all got some denominational stuff. So then our church people, the people who were raised in church, that's what we know. Then we got people who've never been raised in church. This is the very picture of my household. I was raised in church, a lot of stuff. My wife was not. I'm not making a statement about anything other than she wasn't raised in church. If you took that in any other way, that's on you. Now, she didn't get saved until she was in high school. Her neighbor invited her in to church, and she got saved, and then we ended up both, although we were raised, got in church, we went our own ways and started sowing our wild oats, and we met, as everybody knows, in Peabody's. So our first year of marriage was hell on earth. When we got back into church, there were some differing mindsets and perspectives based on our upbringings. And Paul is talking a lot about, in this book, about the very things. He said, a lot of you Jewish Romans in this church are struggling because you got some background stuff. You ain't hearing the message of Jesus because you're sounding a lot like the Pharisees. You're hanging on to some stuff that doesn't really matter. But you know what? If it matters to you, it should matter to you, but don't try to put that on somebody else. There's a lot about, if you don't want to eat that, that's fine. Don't make somebody else wear that. There is a personal, personal like recognition of who God is to you and how that begins to unravel. The Holy Spirit speaking to you. It is making a personal invitation to everyone that God is speaking to you. Because then you got the Gentiles that weren't raised in all this, weren't circumcised, and God's like, that's okay. 
Like, you don't have to become the Jews because the Jews couldn't receive me, really. I was standing right in front of them. I came to preach and live my life for the Jewish people, and those who should have known me best knew me not. So the book of Romans is tied around trying to get all these people in one place to make an impact for God's sake. I say it like that, but it's true. He's trying to position this church regardless of where you come from, to align, connect, and move forward for God's sake. Y'all with me? So in Romans 15, we're going to start in chapter 8, or verse 8. Chapter 15, verse 8. So we've talked about all these things. We've talked about the church, and he's speaking life. You're strong. The things you've gone through, all these, has positioned you for this moment. Now in chapter 15 verse 8, he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What was the promise to Abraham? Abraham, you got nothing. You don't have a family, but I will bless you, your name, your family, your sons, so that I will make you a great nation and out of you, the whole nation, all the world will be blessed. So that's the declaration right there. I promise this. And then Israel couldn't get it right. They were limited because they only worried about themselves. I wanted you to bless everybody. You couldn't even bless yourself the right way. But I promised the patriarchs. I told him it was going to happen. And we talked about that a lot in this church, that once God promises something, he never backs off his promises. To confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So I confirmed their promises so that those who didn't know me, those who weren't born into the Jewish community, might glorify me. Because that is the purpose out of all this. It was not to bless Abraham and Abraham walk around, look at I am blessed. It was not for him to walk around and just bless people. It was all for God to be glorified. Scripture clipped. As it is written. So I want to hear, I want to read these couple of scriptures and I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament and connect you with these scriptures real quick. Because when you begin to read through them, some of those, when you go to the Old Testament scripture, seems, ooh, that is very one-sided invitation. That's just to the Jewish people. But Paul's trying to expand it and get to the heart of what he's trying to say here. He's trying to expand them beyond what they were told. Well, that was that time just for the Jews, right? That was David saying that in Psalm. But he's like, no, the purpose is to position your heart to the right place where you can hear the heart of the Father so you can take it to all nations. So right here it says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. See, this is hope. Everything he's talking about, every scripture he says right here is hope. Because right here, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. It doesn't say I will just praise you among people who believe like me. So you go to the Old Testament, Psalm 1849. I may move quick on these scriptures. I always encourage you, write these down and go chew on them yourself. Go make you a meal. 1849 says, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. 
Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. See, that is limited when you think about it from that perspective. Oh, that's just to David. That's just to the children of Israel. Paul is using the scripture to expand the heart of it. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. Abraham, I'm going to bless you for the nations. But in order for the nations to receive me, you need to learn to praise me in their place, in their stead, in that moment, in around them. It doesn't say, well, I hope the nations come to church with me so I can praise him. Ooh, sorry, I step on toes here. He's already stepped on mine all week, so yours is going to get a little bit too. We don't praise him all the time. See, just this Past week, we had a school board meeting. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all don't. Y'all know that just a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a registration filled out for an after-school Satan club at a local elementary school. You know how much hopelessness I heard out of the church the moment that happened? I want to share with you something that was spoken on Facebook by a Christian. See, Richie Babb, who goes to church here, leads our Bible study. He's the uh, communications director for the city of Chesapeake School District. On a Facebook post, a Christian put on there, I can't wait to see the school administration and school board rot in hell for this. You want to hear hopelessness? That's hopelessness. No love from what I can see. Well, I'm just going to read Psalms the way it applies to me because I, God's blessed me and I'm just going to hold on to my blessing. I'm going to heaven. I got mine. The broken part of this whole thing, for me, when I read this statement, this Instagram post about this club, this school, I didn't get any anger in my heart for anybody that's doing it. I felt convicted when it began to talk about this club's going to teach them empathy and compassion. I said, man, where has the church missed it? Where have we left a void in this earth for the enemy to creep in and provide a counterfeit model? See, this is the alignment of your heart with him. It's how do you position me to be a difference maker? Not to go in and yell with everybody else, because that's what happened in that school board meeting. There was people that wanted the club that got up there and yelled at everybody, and then there was Christians that got up and used the same model as the brokenness and thought they were going to get a different response. And you know who suffers the most? Our kids. Because there's no hope in it. I got my hope. If you come to my church and you hear my pastor preach and you go to church and you get saved, you get the hope too. What? If I have an abundance, which that's what that word says, all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I may abound in hope. It's not so that if you come to the heart household, you get some hope, you get some hope, you get some hope. It better be everywhere I go, every place I go, there should be some praise coming out of my mouth because of what he's done for me, done through me. I don't have to preach scripture to you. I have a journey. I have a testimony. That's the place he's been real to me. That's what I got to share. It's not, man, my pastor preached a good sermon last week. You need to come get that hope. I ain't that good. 
But every one of you have a story. Every, that's what Paul was telling the church of Rome. Every one of you, Jew and Gentile, because you're here, because you've met this Savior, you have purpose, you have a connection. And in order to get the Gentiles, the people who don't know him, the people who haven't met him yet, I'm going to position you to praise him first before you ever have to preach about him. Because if you know him, you should have no problem praising him. And you don't need the worship team to follow you to work and play the guitar. It would be nice. But it should be easy to come out of praise in our mouth. Think about the things we do praise. Think about the things we don't praise. Read the next one. I'm not even going to get to all of them if we don't hurry. Y'all know better than that. Y'all know better than that. Again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So now, because you praised him in the place, now he's saying, Gentiles, you have a place to praise him too. You were on the outside looking in, but now because you were. See, some of these people who are on the outside that looking in said, I ain't got no place there, are just like you were. And your ability to begin to talk about that, share your broken past, share where you come from. We don't do that good in church, right? Oh, Eileen, don't talk about that stuff. You're supposed to have it all together. You're saved. Nope, I had a struggle. I've walked through this. Why? Because your testimony is validating to somebody else that there is hope. Don't listen to the church people that say you got to have it all together because they got it all there because they really ain't got it all together. I know I didn't. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Isaiah 66, 10. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her, that you may be nursed and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. See, you came into a place that you weren't invited to in the beginning. It wasn't to you. But because this nation of Israel blessed, because Abraham was blessed, because the church was blessed, you got brought into a place of abundance. And the moment you tasted it, you want to bring everybody else into this place. It says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples, all peoples. Now we're talking about everybody. Extol him. Extol means mean highly praise. There is no high praise for Jesus going on the earth right now. Why? Because this is the Jesus everybody talks about. Not this one. We're even starting to take down Christmas lights and take off Christmas songs because they sing about Jesus. The very thing that we had in the earth when nothing else was going right, somebody could throw on a Bing Crosby talking about Jesus. Somebody throw on Mariah Carey singing about Jesus, and we could hear about the birth of a Savior. Now we're even starting to get rid of those because of Christians who will jump on a Facebook post and say, I hope you burn in hell. Our new carols would sound a lot like this. It's beginning to look a lot like condemnation. Ooh. Broken, right? We live in a comparison world. And when we arrive at a place that we think we got it all figured out, the safe place for us is to compare ourselves from everybody else. 
Instead of realizing we never get any different than them, we're just a couple of steps ahead of them. What Paul is saying to the Jewish people is the worst place you can be is a place of arrival. Because you stop seeking me. You stop following Jesus. Not him, but Jesus. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even who, he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Think about that scripture. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentile, in him will the Gentiles hope. Powerful statement there that Jesus is coming to rule them. Isaiah 11, 9, and 10. Then I'm going to take you to the Christmas narrative real quick. 11, 9, 10 it says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Think about that. In the day of the root of Jesse, in the days of Jesus, who shall stand as a signal for all peoples, not just Jews, not just Gentiles that figured out, not just church people, all peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. See, this should be a place of rest. This should be a place of rest. There should be glory in a moment where people of faith get together. I don't care if it's in a school board meeting. I don't care if it's in a church service on Sunday. I don't care if it's in your house. The resting place, the place where we get, because there should be rest when people that believe in Jesus get together. That should be the one place in this earth where we can find rest. And it is the most restless place there is. We see it all over the place. One, because our churches look like our political affiliations. Our churches look like our cultural backgrounds. Our churches look like our denominational backgrounds. Martin Luther King said it. He said, Sunday morning is the most divided point in the week. And it's true. And it's bigger than color of skin. It's bigger than political background. It's all over the place. There is no rest because we're walking in looking at everybody. It's like, hmm. But I want to take you to this place. If you turn your, your Bibles to Matthew 2, there's hope. Look at your neighbor and say, there's hope. Look at your other neighbor and say, you can be a star. Not a country star. Oh, I mean, you can, I guess. You can be the next Alan Jackson. 2, 11, or 2, we're going to read... Um, I'm going to read 1 through 12. I'm going to read it quickly, but write this down. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. So this is another thing that we have a tendency to do as, as Christians, right? We get our nativity scene put up, and then somebody comes and says, hey, the wise men weren't at the nativity scene. What? You ain't right. I'm going to pray for you. Of course the wise men were there. They've always been in my nativity scene. They weren't at the nativity scene. 
Don't get your feelings hurt because somebody took your decorations down. Don't let it affect your theology because you need three people holding gifts at the birth of Jesus. They weren't there. But if you want to have them at your nativity scene, that's okay. Because Paul said in Romans, if you want wise men at your nativity scene, you can have them. Stop trying to project that on somebody else, though, that don't want them there. He didn't say that, but that's what Romans is saying. We get stuck on some junk. They weren't there. God bless them. They should have been, but they weren't. There was bigger things. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. Wise men from the east. In, in other uh, interpretation, it calls them magi. So these were very wise soothsayers, prophesiers, those from the east were not Jewish, were not Christian, because Jesus was just born. There was no Christians at this point. But they were ones who were well-studied in mysticism of the East. You need to know that. Because when you know that, you know what they had? They were still searching for something. Think about the world around us right now. Man, if you get any amount of time in the self-help spectrum, as Morgan, as the... Not Morgan. As God has opened this door for Morgan and I to kind of minister into this entrepreneur self-help business mindset, you find a lot of people that, they won't say God, but they'll say universe. We find a time where everybody's looking for an answer to something. There's people going to mediums all the time to try to get an answer instead of this place. Why? Because there's no hope here. Somebody told them there's hope in a medium. I tell you, there ain't no hope there. There ain't no hope at an after-school are in the church for the kids, so you know what? There ain't no hope. Maybe this after-school Satan club would give hope. Maybe chakras and crystals would give me hope. I'm looking for anything and everything to help me figure out how to solve this third eye. Yeah, if you don't know what any of this means, be thankful. Everybody's looking for something. You know what? These wise men knew all of that. They had dabbled, invested time, knew it, wisdom, all the wisdom you could have from everything but Jesus. And in them, there was a drastic hole that they were still searching for something. That's the world around us right now. When there's no hope, you can have all the wisdom you want, but there is always going to be a lack of something. This after-school Satan club does not offend me. Why? Because I know they can't give those kids Jesus. So I know there's always going to be a lack of. And when we as a church stand up and start acting like Jesus, we begin that place of compassion and empathy, and it flows out of this place. There is hope here. I don't care how many of those meetings you go to, you're still missing something. If anybody in here is dabbling with any of that stuff today, It ain't going to solve your answers. You ain't going to find it. And they will tell you, it's okay, you can do that and do Jesus. The wise man right here says you can't. Because you can get all you want over there, but it will never lead you to the answer. You will leave your country. You will travel across. You will risk death, as we'll hear in in their story, to find the truth. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It's a declaration that they were not Jewish. We need to meet your king. And it's funny as they're talking to their king. They're talking to Herod, the one that's been, not anointed, the one that's been prescribed as king. He wasn't even a Jew and made king. 
bad when you come to the Jew and say, we need to see your king. Or you come to the king and say, we need to see your king. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. See, I think this speaks volumes. These men that weren't looking for Jesus, these men who were just looking for truth because their heart was postured to find truth, they saw the thing that would point them to Jesus. See, there's a whole lot of people in this world today that is looking for truth, but there's not enough stars out there pointing them to Jesus. You can be a star. You've been called to be a star. Maybe this is your sermon today. Stars with us for the first time. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. This always blows my mind is they knew where he was going to be born and nobody was spending any time there. We're close enough. We live here. We understand the Jewish. We don't, you know, Jesus is coming, but Jesus is going to come to me. A lot of people sitting in the church just waiting on Jesus to come to them. I go, I listen to my pastor. I'm a part of a small group. I go to the Bible studies. Jesus comes to me if he needs me to get anything. Meanwhile, these people on the outside are in mad pursuit of truth, looking for something. The pursuit is stopped in here where the hope should be abounding. That's why we ain't got an abundance of hope to take out there. Because we barely got enough for ourselves. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they replied exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. See, I don't care where you're coming from. When you get in the space with the true Jesus, there is an awareness of who he is. This is my problem with the Christian culture. Christian, Christ-like. Is we've become looking more like everything that they're searching for. We got Christians that are dabbling in all the things. Christians that are still looking for answers. I hear this all the time. I love Jesus. And I went to a medium last week. This book has all the answers. It may not be all the answers you want, but I guarantee it's all the answers you need. But then it's not for you to like, oh, yeah, right here. I ain't going to find what I'm looking for because I know Eileen and I know she's struggling with this. And I'm, you need this. See, because then we end up looking just like the Church of Rome where we go out handing everybody else what they need instead of in here digesting on what we need. I'm going to have... My buddy Jay on my podcast this week, because this thought popped in my head last week. I said, I want to talk about how many Christians are trying to preach Christians into hell. 
That's where God's got me. I'm like, oh, Lord, that's going to be a conversation. But it's true. That's the loudest voice you hear in the church is church people telling church people you're going to hell. It's Jews telling Gentiles you're wrong. Gentiles telling Jews you're wrong. And Paul's like, would y'all just shut up and listen to who is right? Because if you start seeking him, he'll change you. You don't need to change each other. You need to have relationship with each other. You need to sit down and break bread. You need to talk, talk about the hope that you have, not the hopelessness you're still holding on to. I feel like every week in this sermon series, I've just been preaching at you, talking to the church. But I think it's where we've got to wake up. We've got to see the need. We've got to see the lack. We've got to see the hole. And it starts with us. Am I proclaiming hope in everything I'm doing? Am I leading people to Jesus? Or am I leading people to my pastor, leading people to my church? I hope you never lead them to me. Because I'm going to mess it up. I'm just a star. But the star paled in comparison to the sun. They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After being warned in a dream, y'all better hear this. After being warned in a dream, these wise men that didn't know Jesus is having dreams, discerning dreams to protect him, to help them because they knew their life was going to be in trouble. They knew his life was in trouble. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. See, we never know what happened to those wise men. But I can assure you, they went back to their country and they began to share what happened in their life. Let me tell you about a star. Let me tell you about a nation whose king was born there and they didn't even know who he was. Let me tell you what we had to go by the cover of night to even get to that place to experience a moment with him. Change my life forever. See, that sounds like hope, doesn't it? We've looked at all this stuff. I've spent time dabbling in this and that. I've looked for the answer, but in this moment, I found the answer to end all answers. And it was buried in a little farm somewhere that nobody knew anything about. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I want to take you back to Romans real quick. Then we're going to land this plane. Romans 15, 18 through 21. After coming out of this passage, this, this chapter 15, all about hope. Paul says this, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand.
stand. See, that's hope. The Bible said hope is not what you can see. If you only hope for what you can see, that's not hope at all. If you can only go tell people who know about Jesus about Jesus, that ain't hope at all. And realistically, you're not even telling them about Jesus. You're telling them about your Jesus. And if it don't look like they're Jesus or they ain't got to that place, then you start, mm, I don't know if that's Jesus right now. See, the confession of our faith says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That is bigger than a statement. It's bigger than words with your mouth. It is your mouth merely verbalizing what your life is already exemplifying. There's a whole lot of people out there saying, I believe Jesus is Lord. I don't see it. I don't see it. You didn't change anything about yourself. You didn't drive, you didn't come all the way from the Middle East to meet him. You just lived down the road from him. There are still Jews to this day who don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Although they were told who he was going to be, where he was going to be born, they still don't know. And you get into Romans, it says one day they're going to know. I think that for us has to be the transition of our mind. called to be a city on a hill salt of the earth different stand out I think everybody wants to be salty it takes on a whole nother meaning don't it but a lot of salty Christians out there I want to be hopeful that's my prayer this year is that in 2023, that anybody's around me gets some hope. And God speaks to me in the most craziest of ways. I was running out of flannel shirts in the season of flannel. So yesterday I bought this flannel shirt and I saw it and I loved it. I was like, yeah, that's sweet. I like that. Why? See that Titan blue right there? Mm-hmm. Love that. I was in there ironing my shirt this morning sunlight was coming in, I was ironing it. You know what I saw? What colors you see right there? See that green and that red? See, in the midst of what I thought I wanted this shirt for, I found Christmas. <laughs> Tell me Jesus don't talk to you in every sense. Our life, we just do, go about doing the things we want to do. And he said, if you would just stop for a minute, you might find Christmas never knew it at all. See, I love those little moments where he gets my attention. Here people call it God winks. I think it's the moment he speaks my language instead of waiting on me to speak his. He says, I see you and I'm going to meet you where you're at. 
because it's there where I'm going to connect to you deeper. And you can't unsee those moments. You can't walk away from those moments. I'm going to bring you hope to the hopeless. It's what we sing that song all the time. Bring in hope to the hopeless. That's our job. As kingdom citizens. Citizens that live in an abundance of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and believing that we might share the abundance with all those in need. Yeah, I can't wait to get to heaven. Yeah, I can't wait to spend some time with him. But that's done. That's promised. I'm not fighting for that every day. But I'm living for this moment, every life that I've been sent to impact, including my own sometimes, because there's time I got to look in the mirror and preach hope to that person. I know you're blinded by what you're facing tomorrow, but let me remind you about the God that helped you through yesterday. You did not make it to here just to throw it all away. What's our star look like today? I want to read this definition again of hope. Because it says we're getting to a place where the, not only will the Gentiles be ruled by Jesus, but there will be hope. Hope is to desire with expectation of attainment or fulfillment. If this means there's people who do not know Jesus will at some point develop a desire of attainment or desire with expectation of attainment or fulfillment. The only way they're going to know that is they get around some people who have obtained and been fulfilled. Well, pastor, this life is tough. Enter in as promised. I've been fulfilled. As my friend once told me, enter in's taken care of. Now I'm working for well done. That's the moments of light, the moments that we share with people. And you ain't got to preach and be, well, you ain't got to walk in with your green and red shirt on. You walk in with your blue shirt with a little green and red seam. Because if you spend any amount of time with me, I ain't got to tell you I'm a preacher. I ain't got to bring my Bible. But you're going to meet some Jesus. I don't have it all right. My star may not be the brightest of the bright. But I guarantee you, That's the encouragement today, is regardless of what, what dimness you've been on or brightness you've been on, there's always a brighter level. So I encourage you as we walk into 2023, God, what impact am I making and how can I expand mine? How can I turn my lamp up a little bit? What hopelessness is coming out of my mouth 
and out of my actions? How am I reacting and responding to the hopelessness around me instead of taking and being hope in those moments? This whole sermon series has just been an awareness moment. See, God gives us those. It's not an assessment of who you are. It's an invitation to who he's called us to be. I hope you don't walk away from this like, oh, I just feel shame and disappointment. God's so mad at me. No, he's not. This is an invitation for us to get better. This is an invitation to quit setting still and follow him. See, that's the voice of the enemy. Well, Jamie, that's all you'll ever be. And Jesus like, you going to listen to that or you going to start walking more with me? Just keep, just keep walking. I don't care if you're Jew or you're Gentile. I don't care what you're struggling with or you're not. I don't feel like, care what you have arrived at or you haven't. Let's just walk. See, that's the beauty of this church, I believe. And we're like the Church of Rome. We've arrived at everywhere from Catholic Methodist, Baptist, Pentecost. But you know what? We're going to pursue Jesus. Because that's where our hope lies. And when we get find it, when we get to that place, watch out. Because the hope you have is just going to bleed out. Father, we thank you today that you continue to walk with us. Father, I pray for the heart of your people that you would just continue to link it together. That you would help us see your glory in all things. You position our hearts. That you would give us confidence in you. That we could live a life that shares the hope that you are that we would not be frightened of the world around us, that we would not retreat into our places of security and comfortability, but that the hope inside of us would drive us into those places, would position us to be a loving reminder of who you are, that our lives would demonstrate that you are Lord. But that doesn't look like any other lordship that we've ever seen. That you are the king. That doesn't look like earthly kingship. That our hope lies in a relationship with the Father who created us with purpose and surrounded us with a family to lean on, to walk with. That the hope bomb could just be bigger. That our light would shine to show somebody to you. Father, let it become real to us this season more than any other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.